This week we celebrate the birth of our country, and today I want us to assess the condition of our country, but I don't want to stop there. I want to move on to the solution. If we have a problem in our country, then what is the solution to the problem? And then thirdly, I want you to ask yourself, what is my role in the solution? What would God have me do? Now, it seems to me that Isaiah has aptly described our condition in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, when he wrote, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. It seems to me that our country, sometimes our world, is turned wrong side up. When I hear that obesity is a disease and homosexuality is normal, it seems to me that our world is upside down. Matthew Henry wrote, those that willfully persist in sin Consider not the power of God's anger. Now, it's easy for us to assess the condition of our country. We look around us, we watch the news, we read the papers, and it's easy for us to assess the condition of our country. But if we are trying to determine the moral foundation of our country, if we are looking for the value system of our country, it seems to me that that is going to leave us somewhat confused. Where do we stand as a country concerning our values? If we look to education, that will leave us confused. Across this land some years ago, we essentially removed God from the public education system. Now, thankfully, not so much here in South Carolina, and I'm grateful for those godly teachers and administrators in our state who still uphold the values on which this country was built. But overall, as I look at the education system in our country... We have removed God. We've removed prayer. We've removed the Bible. We've removed any talk about God. And we have substituted secularism. And then we wonder what has happened in our schools. You're probably familiar with the high school valedictorian in South Carolina. This year who laid aside the speech that he had written, planning to give, and instead recited the Lord's Prayer. And then he said, those that we look up to, they have helped carve and mold us into the young adults we have become. I am thankful for my parents who led me to the Lord at a young age. Well, immediately the crowd, the audience stood and began to applaud because the young man had such courage to say such things. But then the critics began to criticize, saying, that's unconstitutional. You can't say such things in a public setting in our country today. So if you look to education, to ask the question, what is our moral foundation? What is our set of values? I'm fearful that it will lead you, leave you confused. If you look to government, it also will be confusing. There is no question but that our country was built on the foundation of God. 
It was built on the Word of God. And our founding fathers were people who had a deep faith in God. As a matter of fact, those who signed the Declaration of Independence, many of those men had been educated in Bible schools and in seminaries with a deeply held belief in the Word of God. Today, we have hate speech and legislation and laws that essentially silence our witness of the Word on which this country was built. I heard Dennis Miller recently. He's certainly not a theologian. I'm not sure he's a Christian. But he was talking about some of the things that are happening in America today. And he said, we have been told so long that we are not to judge. So we are not willing to say that anything is wrong, no matter how heinous it might be. He went on to conclude, I think we need to bring judging back. But there is hate speech that silences us. Many of us were stunned recently when we learned that the IRS has targeted conservative Christian groups for scrutiny. Our government pushes, promotes, accepts homosexual marriage, same-sex marriage. Maybe I'm just confused. Perhaps it's just me. But as as I've looked at the overall picture, and, and when I was watching Tim Tebow, when he gave a bold witness for Christ, when he spoke in the name of Jesus, when he prayed publicly and received so much criticism. And then I compare that to Collins, the NBA basketball player who came out announcing his homosexuality and he was applauded and the president said that he was courageous. And then this week, or this last week, the United States Supreme Court issued a ruling that essentially put our federal government on the side of same-sex marriage. But the thing that disturbed me about that, all disturbed me, but in the majority opinion that Justice Kennedy wrote, he said that opposition is rooted in animus. Opposition to same-sex marriage is rooted in animus. I think that's an error. That's not the people of God that I know. It is not rooted in animus. It is rooted in the Word of God. J.C. Watts, former congressman from Oklahoma, a man I've known since he was 19 years old, was being interviewed about same-sex marriage. He said, well, I am a believer And that means I am a believer in the Word of God. And you know, at the end of the day, what matters is what the Word of God says. Man's opinion will change based on popular opinion or the majority thinking. While Democrats and Republicans may attempt to redefine marriage, it doesn't change the fact that God's definition will never change. You see, whenever I'm asking the question about the value system of this country, when I ask about the morals of this country, if I look to education, it leaves me somewhat ambiguous. If I look to the government, it leaves me confused. Even if I look to religion, I am confused about the values of this country. John Bassanio spoke at the Southern Baptist Convention this year. He said, the fastest growing religion in America today is Islam. And I think, no, wait a minute. 
It's extreme Islamists who want to destroy this country. And that is the fastest growing religion in the country today. Well, what comes in second? Maybe there's hope. No, it's Mormonism. Mormonism is the second fastest growing religion. Well, then what's third? The occult. And Christianity comes in fourth. When we look at religion in our country today, reminding ourselves that this nation was built upon the word of God, Islam, fastest growing, Mormonism, second fastest, the occult, third, and Christianity, fourth. And even after saying that, there are many Christian churches today that take moral positions that are contrary to the Word of God. Now, ladies and gentlemen, may I say, either they are right or the Bible is right, but not both. If I look to entertainment, it leaves me confused concerning the values of America today. In fact, when I watch television programs today, I don't see people like you represented in television programs. People who love their husbands and wives, people who love their children, people who get up on Sunday and go to church, people who are involved in the community, things of that nature, I don't see them represented. Sex outside marriage, that has become normal and they are hypocritical. They rant against guns while they make violent movies. Jim Carrey, bless his heart. He came out last week, I think it was, denouncing a movie that he had just made because it's too violent to watch. I wonder if he gave his money back. If I look to the family today, sometimes I am confused by what I see. I saw a man on television who has 20 two children by 14 different women and said he didn't have the money to support them. So when I look at our country today and I hear all of these things that are happening, I cannot but conclude that our country is upside down. Well, who turned it upside down? Wasn't the government. Now, I would say that the government has become adversarial to the positions and the values that we hold. But the truth is, the government reflects the citizens. Folks, we send those people to Washington. We send them to the state houses. They are there because we sent them. And if we don't agree with their, their positions, we ought not be voting for them. It's not the government, not the Supreme Court. I don't agree with many of the decisions that the Supreme Court makes, but they are interpreting the laws that have been passed by Congress. It isn't the Internet. I know that some people think that the world is falling apart because of the Internet. It is my belief that God gave us the Internet to spread the gospel, not the garbage that's on it. But whenever we sit on the sidelines, then the devil takes it. So it's not the internet, it's not the economy, the economy's weak. But the economy has been weak before and we did not lose our moral values. It isn't the economy, it isn't education. 
You and I decide who's going to educate our children. We decide how much we are going to put up with. It's not the education system. It isn't Hollywood. The fact is they produce what we support, and if we don't support it, then they will not support it. They will not produce it. Well, then who turned the world upside down? I did. We did. I understand scripture. We did. Well, if so, then how do we turn it right side up? If you look with me at Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through 29, the disciples have been arrested. It says, and when they had brought them, they stood them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered and said, we must obey God rather than men. Okay, so then how do we turn the world right side up? Folks, this has been said before. It is not enough to curse the darkness. We have to turn on the light. It isn't enough for us to say these are the things that are wrong in our country. We have to ask the question, how do we fix it? What do we do? And to be honest with you, as I was sitting up here watching you and you were singing, and I particularly watched some of you, I thought that is the hope of America right there. You are. You are. So how do we fix it? If we believe that it is upside down, how then do we turn it right side up? Let me go back, and you are very familiar with this. Jesus told us that we are to be salt and light in this world. I know that you're familiar with that, but let's revisit it, because I believe that that is the answer, that the people of God are to be salt and light in this world. And when Jesus said that we were to be salt, that is emphatic, which means you and you alone are the salt. Folks, there is no salt in government. There is no salt in the education system. There is no salt in the entertainment industry. According to what Jesus said, you and you alone are the salt. And it is implied that we are living in a decaying world. And the truth of the matter is, the world is decaying. Our country is decaying far at a far greater pace than I ever imagined. I never imagined it. I was thinking about the ruling of the Supreme Court this past week. Do you know the country that first legalized same-sex marriage? The first country? It was Denmark. Do you know when they did it? 2001. That is how rapidly things have changed. Things are changing rapidly in our country. And we are decaying rapidly. Martin Luther King preached a sermon about moral decay. He said, we are becoming a society that is a dirty shade of gray. Nothing absolutely right, nothing absolutely wrong. 
Promise Keepers did a survey and reported that 75% of Christian men have a struggle with pornography. 75%. Children are abused for the pleasure of adults. We were shocked when we saw the man who had the three girls in prison held hostage for more than 10 years abusing those girls simply because he could. Crime is glorified. In the entertainment industry, in our young people, it is glorified. And it is in this decaying society that Jesus said to you and to me, you are to be the salt, a preservative. You are to be the salt. What does that mean? Folks, it means that we are to live pure lives because salt was considered to be pure. In fact, it was considered to be so pure that the Romans offered it to their gods as an offering because of its purity. As the people of God, we need to live pure lives, holy lives. A lot of times it seems that we want to live ungodly lives and expect the blessings of God and that isn't going to happen. If you're going to be the salt, then you're going to have to be pure. And then another characteristic of salt is that it flavors. It flavors. I believe that as a Christian, that you and I should live such winsome lives, such positive lives, that it will cause people to want to know what is it that makes such a difference in our life. Are you that way? When, when people look at you when they are around you, do they say, I, would li- I, I don't know what he has, but I'd like to have it? Oliver Wendell Holmes said, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. We are to live winsome lives, that flavor life. Another good thing about salt is it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much to make a difference. And Ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't take a lot of us to make a difference. Gideon was able to take 300 soldiers and conquer the Midianites. But Jesus warned us about salt becoming tasteless. Now, how does that happen? Well, it happens when salt is mixed with another substance. If a foreign substance gets mixed in with salt, then it is no good. Now then, as believers who are supposed to be the salt, when we get mixed in with the world and we become like the world, then we lose our ability to change the world. So salt then becomes tasteless when it's mixed with something else, and it loses its value when it's in the wrong place, and you and I lose our value when we are in the wrong place. If I ask you today, do you love the Lord, you would say yes, that you do. You do. But if I ask you, is the Lord the priority in your life? I'm not sure that would be your response. He is going to have to be the priority of our life. Not not just a convenience, but the priority of our life. Jesus said we are to be salt. He said that we are to be light. And again, that is emphatic. When he said that you are the light of the world, that means literally you and you alone are the light. There is no light other than you. And our world is in spiritual darkness. We need to understand that, that that our world is in spiritual darkness, but you are the light. 
You and you alone are the light. Our world is in spiritual ignorance. I am astounded, to be honest with you, sometimes when I talk to people who say that they are Christians and some of the things they say they believe that, is con- that are contrary to what the Word of God says. You are the light. What does light do? I mean, if we are the light, what are we supposed to be doing? And I believe that this is the answer. I believe this is the solution. Jesus said to his disciples in a corrupt society, you are the salt, you are to be the preservative. You are the light, you and you alone. There is no light other than you. So what does light do? It guides. It guides. Linda and I were at the Southern Baptist Convention recently and because of storms and so forth our flight was delayed and we didn't get there until I think around 11, 11.30. It was late when we got to Houston. But as we got there I looked out the window of the plane and as I saw the runway I saw the lights that lined the runway. That's what light does. It guides to safety. It guided the pilot to safety and that's what you and I are to do. We are to guide people to safety. Folks, we can't sit on the sideline. We can't sit on the sideline when we are supposed to be guiding people to safety. So what does light do? It guides. It warns. We put up lights around potholes to warn people not not to hit the pothole. Now we must be bold and we must be clear in our warning. In 1 Corinthians 14, 8, Paul wrote, For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? We're going to have to give a clear warning about what is happening in our country. How can we turn the world upside down, or right side up, actually? By being salt and by being light. If we are willing to do that, we can turn the world right side up. Now then, the third part is the call to change the world. We have not been called to reflect the world. I know that there are those people who have the idea that the church is to be a reflection of society, that our beliefs are to reflect modern opinion. It is not. We have not been called to be a reflection of society. We have been called to change society. And we must. Recently I heard Senator Ted Cruz speak and to be honest I was encouraged when I listened to him for this one reason. He said change happens rapidly. Change happens rapidly. And as I began to think about the changes that have happened in America, they have happened rapidly. Well, ladies and gentlemen, change can happen rapidly the other way if we're willing to commit ourselves to it. We know what to do. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now, what does that mean? Let's break that down. What does it mean? If we are going to have God's promise applied in America, how does that happen? He says, first of all, if they will humble themselves. Our prideful narcissism is keeping us from impacting our world for Jesus. We ignore God's will in our lives. And we don't seek him in our decisions. 
James chapter 4 verses 15 and 16 said, You ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. We're going to have to come to the place to recognize our dependence upon God. That we are dependent upon Him. We're not dependent upon the stock market. We're not dependent upon the Supreme Court. We're not dependent upon the Republicans. And we're not dependent upon the Democrats. We must come to the place where we understand that our dependence is upon God. Humble ourselves. Humble ourselves before Him. And pray. Charles Spurgeon wrote, Prayer pulls the rope below and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. Anything that is done is going to be done in response to prayer. Pentecost came after the disciples had gathered in the upper room and they prayed. They poured their heart out to God and Pentecost came. The great awakening in this country came in response to prayer. Jonathan Edwards was on his face before God praying again and again, God give me New England, God give me New England, God give me New England. And folks, we're going to have to pray with that kind of passion, that kind of belief, that kind of brokenheartedness. Pray. Repent. It is easy for us to look elsewhere and cast stone at others for the condition of our country, but we need to repent. Lord, what am I doing? What is my condition before you? We need to repent. And he says, and I will heal their land. John Bassanio said it, said, it does not say heal your land, but your land will be healed. It is more than just a promise. It is a law. And God said, if you will do that, humble yourselves, pray, seek my face, repent. The result is your land will be healed. That is the law. As I conclude, there will be opposition. If you determine that I want to turn the world right side up, there will be opposition as there was with the disciples. In Acts 5.28, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. The disciples had opposition. You will have opposition. The PC police will be all over you if you stand up for Jesus and the Word of God. Those committed to pluralism will tell you one religion is as good as another. Coexist. And they will be all over you. There will be opposition, which means then we have to make a tough decision. The disciples did. Acts 5.29, but Peter and the apostles answered and said, we must obey God rather than men. To turn the world right side up, we must obey God. By having the courage of that high school valedictorian who told the truth to his graduating class. Yesterday I read in the newspaper about the rock at Clemson that had been damaged and legendary coach Frank Howard. According to the newspaper, when he took the rock and put it there, and the football team ran across, ran by it for the first time, he said to them, 
unless you're willing to give me 110%, keep your filthy hands off my rock. Ladies and gentlemen, we have come to a critical time in the life of our country and it is not enough for the people of God to give 50% and 60% and 30%. We are going to have to give 110% to turn this country right side up. So what will you do? This isn't the government. It isn't the education system. It isn't entertainment. It is the church. It is the people of God. So what will you do? Our gracious Father, we come to a time we love our country. We understand the brokenness of it. Lord, help us to understand our assignment to be salt and light. And Father, today, may we commit ourselves to being that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to stand in just a moment, sing an invitation. The choir will sing. If you're here without Christ, I encourage you to give your heart to Him today. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. God has spoken to your heart. You're willing to say, I just want to be that person. I want to be that person. Then you might want to just come and kneel and say, God, I commit myself. Use me to turn our nation right side up. Stand with me, please. As we stand, they sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do.